Okay, welcome to the AA Victoria podcast, episode one. Um, this is a very occasional podcast. We're not sure how often we're going to do these, um, but it's really an effort to go into perhaps a bit more of a deep dive on issues than than we can do in a short, you know, eight hundred word magazine or or web page article or a, a couple of hundred words on a Facebook post. Um, there are a number of issues that confront shooting and hunting that really deserve a more thorough discussion, a more thorough explanation. Um, and this is an effort to give the members that that deeper dive, that that more nuanced understanding of what SSAA Victoria is doing on some of the issues and why we're taking the positions we're taking. So like I said, I'm not sure how often we're going to do these, but they'll be as needed and as, as we identify issues that really need that deeper dive. We'll try and do more of these podcasts, which we'd like to think more like going to a town hall meeting or going to your to your local branch or club meeting and having that conversation, obviously without the interaction, but it allows us to to give that bit more detail and to give SSAA Victoria members a deeper understanding of the issues that really affect them. Um, so I'm Barry Howlett. I'm the communications manager with SSAA Victoria been with the association, working with the association for just under one year. Um, prior to that, I did nine years with the Australian Deer Association. Uh, with us, we've got uh, SSAA Victoria's Hunting Development Manager, David Laird. Dave? Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, my role is the Hunting Development Manager, so that is representing the members um, of the association on all things hunting, so also responsible for oversight of all our training programs and also um, our conservation and pest management program. And we're also joined by SSAA Victoria's CPM and Training Development Officer. Officer? Coordinator. Coordinator. Daryl Snowden. Introduce Daryl, Daryl. Morning, Barry. Morning, David. Um, Yeah, Conservation Pest Management Coordinator at uh, Sporting Shooters Association of Victoria. Also Training Development Coordinator because I couldn't just have one job, had to have two. Uh, I work closely with both David and Barry on all things hunting. Uh, that includes ducks, obviously. Um, my background is Fielding Game Australia, so I was with Fielding Game for a number of years before I came over here. So I have a pretty good grounding and background in ducks. Also a member of the Waterfowl um, Wounding Reduction Action Plan group, or the working group. Um, yeah, like like these guys, started hunting at sort of 12 years old. So a long time uh, duck hunter and shooter with a fair bit of experience. Well, thank you, gents. Um, our topic today is native bird hunting in Australia and what's going on with our seasons and where we're going with this select committee inquiry. So native bird hunting, we're talking about ducks and quail. Um, quite, quite often quail are the afterthought in those discussions, but still very much a consideration and and very much an understanding that where duck goes as far as a regulatory sense, quail will follow. Um, so highly valued game species, really unique and fascinating game species, the quail, along with the duck, and both under attack and quail probably very much as a consequence of being lumped in as a native bird with ducks. If it was just quail, we probably wouldn't be in that situation, but we are. So um, bear with us, quail hunters. You know, they very much flew under the radar up until this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and probably would have continued to do if it wasn't coupled with, with duck hunting in the way it is in a regulatory sense, but but here we are. Um, so we'll start at the end, I suppose, and work our way back, which is this select committee inquiry. Um, the inquiry came more or less out of the blue, um, along with the very belated duck season announcement. I know 
uh, SSAA Victoria, we got about five minutes' notice before there was a public announcement of any of that, but also this select committee inquiry, which had, had not been mooted, nobody had spoken about it. Um, we went to a state election and met with the previous minister responsible, um, the Minister for Agriculture. Uh, she gave no indication that there was any move from the government to move away from the interim harvest model and from objective season settings, and certainly no indication that something like a select committee inquiry was in the offing. Um, she was just completely silent on that, and I don't believe that she was hiding anything from us. I just don't believe that that was in the considerations as the government went into the election. Um, I think people are entitled, particularly you know, 100 days out for an election, to have had the government go to elections telling people what their agenda is and that they're going to make a major change, and I think it's it's very poor form to spring it on people so close to having gone to the polls. If if you have a challenge in your mind, then you take the public into your confidence and let them decide, and, and the Victorian government didn't do that, which is incredibly disappointing. Um, for the record, SSAA Victoria and our colleagues um, at Field and Game Australia and the Australian Deer Association, when we went out with our pre-election advice, we were very clear that we couldn't recommend a vote for the Labor Party at the 2022 election, and that was just because of their complete lack of policy that they offered up to us. We'd, we'd engaged and engaged in very good faith, given them very good options for policy, and other parties had and they hadn't. So we recommended votes for a number of parties, and they were not one of the parties that we recommended people voting for. I think that's that's important to make clear. Yeah, Just at that stage too, Barry, they <clears throat> had committed to the Sustainable Hunting Action Plan, uh, the second version of that. So there is a clear plan there that's government policy on hunting. So what we're seeing <clears throat> at the moment is a, a clear move away from the commitments in that plan. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I might call short of saying what they did at the election was deceptive, but if you're going to spring such radical change on people so close to an election, then you had an opportunity three months ago to seek a mandate and you either didn't trust the Victorian community enough to do that or something else was going on, and we'll try and touch on that. But a lot of that's poking around in the darkness, trying to figure things out. So that's that's the election side of it. Uh, there's a similar inquiry that the South Australian government did go to the election, uh, promising to do so. A, a concurrent inquiry happening in South Australia, uh, very similar terms of reference, um, and that was promised. At least the South Australian government went to the election and said they were going to do that. Um, it's, it faces the same challenges and much of what we talk about today could easily cross the border to South Australia because the challenges are not unique, just like ducks don't respect borders. These sorts of political challenges don't either. Um, and our understanding is that this select committee inquiry was born of a leadership who are quite concerned that two-thirds of the Labor Party caucus in government are opposed to duck hunting. So they didn't want to ban it this year, which they, they could have done. They could have called no season. I mean, they, they almost may as well have with the season they delivered, but they didn't do that. But our understanding is that the people who still have some support for duck hunting couldn't ignore the two-thirds of their caucus who don't. So we are now victim to an internal political problem and a failure, in my view, on people within that caucus to manage the caucus and to manage the expectation and to allow a false narrative to run away 
and not step on it at an early stage. So so we're victims of that now. Um, and something David and Daryl and I all attended a forum last year that the ADA put on on social licence. I know it's it's become a bit of a dirty word, social licence, but one of the key insights that I took away from that forum is that regulation is actually a lagging indicator of social licence, that the community actually gets there first and the politics follows. So the politicians, whether they're right or wrong, and that's going to be tested over the next few months very vigorously through this select committee inquiry, but the calculation that's been made certainly within the Labor Party caucus is that the public don't support duck hunting, therefore there's no political pain in doing anything detrimental to duck hunting. Now, that's on us, on our organisation and other people, other organisations and groups and individuals who are really supportive of duck hunting to highlight that that's actually not the case, that that perception's wrong and turn things around, but that's what we're up against and it's it's not easy. And sitting underneath all of that is you've got the the soft sort of ideological, oh, I don't like it, a bit of cringe stuff from the public, don't like it and don't know why, but driving this campaign since the mid-1980s has been this animal rights agenda um, and, and a burgeoning animal rights movement and these are people who believe that what they are doing is not just right, they believe it's righteous. And when you're righteous, just about anything goes. When, when you believe that what you are doing is righteous, is, is so good, you'll pretty well forgive yourself any sort of behaviour, um, which is what we see with just the straight-out illegality on duck swamps with the protesters it's what we see with the willful misinformation, just the constant lies, outright lies that these people tell in the media that they've been successfully telling to people within the Labor Party and to a lesser extent the Liberal Party caucus, that they've successfully been telling to the community through a media that's largely sympathetic to them. These people do not play by the rules um, and they believe that what they're doing is is just so righteous that they don't need to play by the rules. So they allow themselves to stand there and lie. And, and part of our big challenge, and to a degree, part of our big opportunity with this select committee is to expose some of that. There's, there's nowhere to hide when, when organisations put in good detailed submissions that pull those lies to bits. There's nowhere to hide when there's a public hearing where those lies get challenged. So that's part of our big challenge, and it's an uphill battle, is to expose some of that. And, of course, underneath all of that animal rights movement, underneath the belief system of these people is a pretty healthy level of delusion. So it's it's funny, but it's not. Yeah. So the audience are probably sympathetic to what we're saying, but if you're, if you're a vegan, I'm prepared to accept that you come to veganism through kindness, through wanting the world to be a better place through wanting there to be no cruelty and, and no animal suffering, but it's it's completely delusional. Um, you look at the plant-based food aisle that's popping up in every Woolworths and Coles now, and 90% of the products there are trying to imitate meat because it's tapping in. The people who run those businesses don't care about veganism, I'm sure. They're clever marketers, and they're tapping into a visceral human need to have that taste, texture, feel of meat. It's been a just a fundamental of being human. 
is eating meat. And the other bit of that, of course, is the death that's involved in all of that. You can't grow vegetables without death. You can't grow animals in agriculture without death. There's a level of of killing and cruelty that's on everyone's plate, and hunters to a degree are, are demonised because we're audacious enough to get blood and guts on our hands. Yeah, that's, that's one of the big issues that we're facing. I mean, with the urbanisation of, of our population, people just really have no understanding of where their food comes from and what's involved in that and where their meat comes from. So um, it's very easy when you go to the supermarket and buy a, a tray of meat to distance yourself from the fact that something has had to die. And hunters are upfront about that. We understand where our food comes from and we're prepared to, to get our hands dirty. Um, that doesn't mean we can't do it properly and we need to do it humanely. But uh, at the end of the day, if we're going to eat meat, that's uh, something does have to die. And as you said, even if people aren't going to eat meat, uh, there's still things dying to, to get their food on the table for them. I must be one of the lucky ones because I still live somewhere with a supermarket that has a game section. <laughs> Very. <laughs> uh, see, so, and you live in Hipster Central. So I live in Hipster Central, correct. You're not, you're not in Box Hill, Daryl. No, no, I'm certainly not in Box Hill. And, and that's also an interesting part of this, this whole social licence equation is that um, you, you pick up the, the Saturday paper and, and you've got David Moyle, who's a hipster chef, putting game recipes in and, and there is almost on the fringe of, of oh, I hate to use the term woke, but of, of this inner urban culture, there's this this real burgeoning love of game food. So, again, something that we need to be a lot better at tapping into and explaining and contextualising. But Certainly. And, and you said before about um, there's always an opportunity and, and here lies the opportunity. There's an opportunity to tell that story and, and tell it better than we have. Look, we've, we've tried, we've well, Barry and I've certainly worked for other organisations and worked for magazines, et cetera, and try to tell that, certainly that food story. And it, it's a difficult story to tell. It's difficult to get it out there. And here's, here's another opportunity for us to try and tell that story better than we have. Yeah, because, I mean, we need to make no mistake, this, this inquiry is a huge threat to duck and quail hunting in this state. Um, however, if, if we could be confident that it's going to be argued on, on facts and science, uh, we can be very confident that we will retain both duck and quail hunting. Um, they are sustainable activities. Um, <clears throat> if we come down to just the emotion side of it and the politics, then we're in real trouble. But if we can get our messaging across and if the decision of the inquiry and the committee is based on that facts and science, uh, then we can probably have a really good future for, for both duck and quail hunting. It's not necessarily going to be the same as it has been in the past. Um, there will be changes, but uh, there can be a really positive future potentially come out of this. And, and that leads us on to this committee that's been set up. So it, it's got its terms of reference and it's had the people who are on it named. It's it's quite an unusual set up a select committee. Um, Parliament, both houses of Parliament have standing committees and this is different to that and the numbers are poised differently to that. And it's incredibly unusual for the government to move for a select committee of its own motion, which is what it did. And um, anyone who watched the debate on that would have, should have been absolutely appalled by the only contribution from the government, which was um, Upper House MP, actually a minister, Lizzie Blanthorne, who, a minister with no actual portfolio responsibility in our sphere, um, and we thank our lucky whatever's, whatever your deity is for that. Um, but if anyone in the government 
was seriously paying attention beyond just how horribly biased her contribution was, they should have been embarrassed at just how shit it was. Like it was just a really, it was pretty really, disgraceful. Wasn't it, it was the complete lack of of facts of understanding. If you wanted a demonstration of beyond the hardcore animal rights nutbags, if you wanted a demonstration of just how shallow the understanding of our issues is amongst the people who oppose us, Lizzie Blanthorn is the poster girl for shallow misunderstanding. Um, knee-jerk identity politics. She laid all that out on the public record quite usefully. Yeah, it was pretty handy, really. (laughs) So the committee's got three Labor MPs, um, relatively junior Labor MPs, three coalition MPs, so two from the Liberal Party and one from the National Party, and three crossbenchers, which is Animal Justice Party, Greens and Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. If you wanted to do an exercise on paper on which way it's poised, I'd say it's probably poised 5-4 against us at the moment. But we are very optimistic. I wouldn't say hopeful um, because optimism is a bit more informed than hope. Um, We're optimistic that the Labor MPs can be persuaded by facts. Um, We we don't know exactly where they're going to land on anything, and we don't know if they've been given orders from above to land a certain way. But we have reason for optimism that they can be swayed by facts. So submissions are open now, and they close on the 8th of May, and the whole inquiry will wrap up and report by the 31st of August. Um, So timings, six weeks we've got from when we're recording this, and that will fly by to get those submissions in. Um, How much of a threat do you think this inquiry is, Dave? Uh, look, it's it's an enormous threat. Uh, let's let's be really clear about that. I mean, we're we're sitting on a on a precipice. Um, I mean, duck hunting has been under threat for the last twenty twenty five years uh, with the rise of of anti duck hunting activities and activists and all the rest of it and the animal rights movement. But we we really are at a tipping point. Um, so what comes out of this inquiry is going to determine the future. As I said, if if we could be really confident that uh, decisions are going to be based on on facts and science um, <clears throat> and informed um, information, then we would be really confident that we would win this. Um, unfortunately, we don't have that level of confidence uh, because politics is clearly involved in this. Uh, we have been trying to take the politics out of uh, the duck hunting decision making for uh, for years. Uh, I've been in my role for for six years, and we've been trying to do that for all of that time, and it's been going on before that. Um, that's why we've sort of uh, wanted to go to a adaptive harvest management, and that's something we'll talk about a bit further on, um, so that the decisions are actually based on science and evidence, um, not on opinions and politics and all the rest of it. So it, it is a, a major threat, and we the association is going to do everything it can. Um, we're doing a whole heap of research, commissioning um, consultants and getting all the information that we can to put in a, uh, a really solid um, evidence-based submission. Um, but what we need our members to do is to put in the, their submissions as well and we're putting out information to them as to how they can do that uh, to help them with it. But what we're finding and the feedback we're getting is that um, all the antis are, are really motivated to stop this. So they'll, uh, they'll put in submissions and have their voice heard Hunters, I well understand, they just want to go and hunt. They don't want to be involved in in all the politics of the whole thing, uh, but it is really important, and not just duck and quail hunters. So if there's any other hunters uh, listening to this, uh, this is this is bigger than just duck and quail hunting. It's sort of the tip of the iceberg on this. 
So we would encourage anyone with an interest in in hunting uh, to to put in a submission and have their voices heard, and that includes uh, the submission to the inquiry, but also contact your local MP, whether you just write to them, whether you just ring to their ring their office, or whether you actually try and um, tee up a, a meeting with them. Uh, and we've once again we've got information out to our members through Facebook and our webpage on how people can do that. And if they need further advice or information, they can certainly contact State Office and we can talk them through that. So, yes, we're, we're facing a, a major threat here and we really need to get people involved. If we can get through it, um, then we do have the potential to set up um, duck and quail hunting for the next 15 to 20 years um, and sort of set a, a really positive, sustainable future. Yeah, and look, uh, on the resource bit, I was... Um very encouraged. I'm not surprised, obviously, when we got this announcement on a Friday afternoon. You you two were driving home from Eagle Park and we had um pretty glad that we weren't recording those phone conversations <laughs> between the three of us. Hollywood needs some editing. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I said um, some things that I won't repeat. We, we were scrambling to get some communications out and I was getting some some very frank um and fearless advice on what should go in those communications and we, we toned them down sufficiently, I think. Um, but I walked back in the office Monday morning and our CEO had his computer open to the budget and his response was, what do you need, boys? Like it, it wasn't, what can we scrape, what can we do? It was, what do you need, what resource do we need? Let's talk about it. Let's let's make sure that we do this um, because we're not going to die wondering about this inquiry. We're not going to die wondering about the future of duck hunting. I was, I was very... I said not surprised at all, but very pleased that that was the organisation's almost knee-jerk response to this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know in the past there's been sort of concerns raised about SSAA and their commitment to hunting, and that's why my role was was created six years ago. And I think since then we've done an enormous amount in that area. And the other good thing is the financial management of the association means we've got the reserves that we need at this stage uh, to throw everything that we need to into this without having to go back out to our members and uh, go cap in hand and say, hey, we need money. So we've got the money there and we're going to put it into this. Oh, look, we're in a very lucky position. You know, six years ago, SSAA had, had some hunting influence, but but quite quite little. Um, from my point of view, I was with Fielding Game Barriers with ADA and sort of three of us sat around the table at most most meetings when hunting issues were discussed with government was SSAA, ADA and Fielding Game. And, and SSAA was certainly lacking and they made the investment with David six years ago and followed up with me two years ago, then Barry and almost a year ago. And the investment just made in staff. And so there's three full-time people working on hunting issues within SSAA Victoria now. It's a huge change and um, certainly pointing in the right direction. Yeah, and there's um, obviously we're not the only organisation with an interest in this and we're not the only organisation doing things. So Field and Game have been uh, quite active and quite vocal since these announcements were made. Um, we're in regular communication with Field and Game and, and doing what we can to work together. Um, we all want the same thing. Uh, there's a, there's a, a broad spectrum of of people who are interested in duck hunting, and, and at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is a, a strong future for duck and quail hunting in Victoria. There's been a lot said about what the trade unions are doing, and people have their own opinions on unions generally. Um, they've come to this, the unions that have become active have largely come to this organically. So it's not that we've gone and reached out to them and said, you need to get involved. And and, and a bit of my background um, working in and around unions over a decade ago, 
that sort of approach would never work. So these unions have come to us, um, been surprised, I suppose, in recent weeks, the amount of union leaders who are SSAA Victoria members who are hunters, who are, who are very keen on this, but not just keen on it for personal interest, keen on it because particularly with the, the blue-collar unions, I suppose, the unions that represent a large number of those tradie-type workers in the outer suburbs who happen to be a large cohort of the hunting community, they're very cognizant that even if this isn't something they personally do themselves, that their membership has a very large interest in, in outdoor recreation if they're not hunting, they're fishing or or boating or or doing things, motorbike riding. A lot of our issues intersect and, and there's an understanding amongst some of these leaders in those movements that there's really not much point in having these conditions where you, where you have a good disposable income where you have rostered days off, where you have good leave entitlements and good weekends, if your people can't go out and do what they want to do when they've got that time and if they can't go out and spend that income on what they want to spend it on. So that's been very encouraging. And like I said, what's probably most encouraging about that is that they've come to this quite organically and independently. And I think they will be an important factor in, in talking, particularly to the Labor Party, which is where this decision is going to sit. It's always sort of <clears throat> interested me that um, Labor has traditionally been seen as sort of uh, more of a an anti-hunting sort of um, party. Not that that's always been reflected in in some of the policies and that, but that's how they've been seen. But it's always interested to me because hunting in this state and in this country is really a working man's um, sort of uh, participation. Um, it's it is the tradies, it's the workmen. We, I mean, we've got hunters from all walks of life. But um, there is certainly a, a lot of those working people involved. And it's always seemed a bit strange that um, Labor as a party would be sort of seen to be opposed to hunting when a lot of their, their sort of core membership uh, are actually heavily involved in the activity. Yeah, it's very different if you look at the UK where you, you turn up to a, a shoot yeah. with the Range Rovers and the, the Jaguars and uh, the Tweed as Barry likes. Yeah, you, get, you go to the- It's a very different set. You go to the duck swamp, or you you go to Dargo in in deer hunting season. It's it's Ford Rangers and Hiluxes at yeah. at hundred paces. So we're in high vis, yeah, <laughs> straight off yeah, the yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, blokes blokes with the the work boots with the side yeah. the side zipper on them, um, which is great. These are these are our people, but it's it's quite encouraging that their industrial organisations have, I wouldn't say cottoned on to that, but certainly determine that this is the line in the sand and they'll take a more active role in in representing the interests of their people outside of the workplace. Supporting their members. Supporting their members, um, which is what we all try to do. Um, There's a parallel inquiry we touched on earlier that's in South Australia. Um, What what do we know about that, Darren? Well, South Australia kicked off the whole process, really. Um, What's happening in Victoria is a mirror of what's started in South Australia. Um, anyone that's been around duck hunting long enough know that there's a distinct connection between duck hunting in Victoria and South Australia. So it's only natural that what happened with South Australia that the Labor government led there as well, followed on here. Uh, it looks very similar. Um, it's a select committee on the hunting of native birds. Um, similar sort of makeup, seven members, two Libs, two Labor, one Green, one One Nation and one SA Best and Independent. Uh, if you look at the terms of reference, et cetera, all very similar. Um, community values and perspectives, cultural, social and recreational aspects, sustainability, environmental and animal welfare, economic considerations, perspectives of First Nations and how native bird hunting is managed in other jurisdictions. So they'll certainly look at what happens in Victoria 
uh, Tasmania, Northern Territory, etc., and other relevant matters, which really opens the door to anything, doesn't it? But when you look at you look at the topics there and look at the terms of reference, you can pretty easily put them into some sort of order. And the number one, which always stands out in everything we've seen in Hansard and seen in Parliament, is animal welfare will be the number one area. Um, sustainability will come in at a close second, and then economics. <laughs> Money talks, unfortunately, and uh, we all know a bit about the economics of hunting. Uh, David will talk a bit about it in a minute, but um, they will be the three primary battlegrounds. There'll be some other things as well, but I see those being our top three. And look, they're all things we can address um, and, and have worked on in the past. Um, things like the Sustainable Hunting Action Plans address a lot of them as well. And they're things that, that we know about and we have worked on for a number of years and that's where the battleground lies. I think we'll touch on, on maybe the easiest one. For, well, I think it's the <laughs> easiest one first, which is sustainability. There's an easy one? I think it's the one where, where we've got undeniably got sure. all, all of the facts on our side. Oh, we have a lot of science to back us as well. So with sustainability, um, we've probably all heard all the catchphrases around interim harvest models and adaptive harvest management and adaptive harvest management models. And if we've been down this journey for quite a while. I think the first adaptive harvest management report was written about 14 years ago now, um, but that was a number of years in development. So we're probably about 20 years into the journey. We still don't have an adaptive harvest management model of any description. Um, but this comes on the back of what's been happening in North America for a long, long time. Um, it's proven to work. Um, it's the path we have to go down. It's not not a path I'd like to go down or, you know, it's, see it as an option. It, it is the only path. Um, and in the interim now, we have what we call an interim harvest model, um, which also helps address that sustainability issue. So both these things we would we would use to address that sustainability issue. Yeah, we certainly understand a lot of our members have concerns about the harvest modelling and all, all the rest of it. Uh, we certainly understand that. But at the end of the day, they are what gives us the, the concrete evidence that uh, what we're doing in, um, in duck hunting is sustainable. So the, people can have opinions on all this sort of stuff, uh, but at the end of the day, the facts and the science say that it is sustainable. Um, and that way, that takes that complete argument away from the antis to use. So if a decision is made on this uh, to, to get rid of duck and quail hunting, it's not going to be on sustainability because we can categorically prove that that's not the issue. Um, it'll be a political decision um, based on, on views within the government. And back to our friend, social licence. Um, sustainability and, and that cruelty are the, are the two really key factors that will affect that. And again, this is an opportunity to put on the public record all of that sustainability argument, all of the realities of that hunting, sustainable hunting is sustainable, quite, quite obviously. Um, so there's an opportunity for us in this as well as the challenge. Um, the economics is something that's that's often touted and, and again disputed, but we've got a pretty good story to tell there. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the government's own figures and they've, they've commissioned reports um, and the antis want to want to disparage those and try and call them into question, but um, it's been done by government, so we've got confidence in the figures coming out of there. Um, 2019 shows that duck hunting is worth $65 million to the Victorian economy each year, um, and that's coming off reduced seasons. Back in um, 2013, it was about $99.4 million. So, um, yeah, we obviously know that reduced seasons and uh, cancelled seasons and reduced bag limits actually reduce participation, uh, which obviously reduces that uh, that economic stimulus. Um, 
That said, obviously, the sustainability is the most important thing. So we recognise that if it's necessary for the sustainability of the population to have those uh, reduced bag limits, then that's what we're gonna, going to do. Um, but we want to see it based on science, not just on sort of um, subjective opinion. And the elephant in the room, I suppose, for hunting is wounding, is, is this animal cruelty argument and wounding. Undeniably. Uh, it'll be the number one issue. It'll be the number one argument. It's where the, all the emotion comes in. It's probably the hardest one to counter. Um, we don't have a lot of data on it. And at the end of the day, the data doesn't really matter. Um, it, you know, to me, it's irrelevant whether the wounding rate's 15% or 55%. It, it's really irrelevant. Um, if it's come up as an issue, the issue needs to be addressed. We need to commit to reducing whatever that whatever that number is. Be it fifty five percent, be it thirty three percent, be it ten percent, it's irrelevant. If that's come up as our number one issue, which it seems to have, we need to address it. So we need to come up with a a, a way to address it. Absolutely, it, it, it's certainly the rationale the minister used, for better or worse. It's the rationale the minister used, um, and we can contextualise that with with other activities and and make up make comparisons. But at the end of the day, like you said. Sure. Hunting needs to do every yeah. every use of animal needs to do better, not just hunting. But hunting needs to do better, and there's benefits for you in it as a hunter, of course. Yeah. Look, every ethical hunter wants to have that perfect one shot kill. There's no doubt about that. That's that's the objective. But it's also equally true that things do go wrong uh, from time to time, and we do have animals wounded, um, and we need to do everything we can um, to make sure that we minimise that as as much as we possibly can. And uh, as a sort of a formal way of doing that, um, the government set up a, uh, a working group back in 2021, May of 2021, um, to look at wounding and look at ways to actually reduce wounding in, in uh, duck hunting. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a really good initiative. Um, WSAA Victoria was involved, Field and Game, uh, some independent people, Daryl was on it. There's a, a shotgun instructor um, and we had industry representatives and we had representatives from RSPCA as well. So we basically uh, had people from, from all, all viewpoints uh, to look at ways that we could actually reduce wounding. So when you say industry representative, who was on that group? Uh, we had, um, as I said, RSPCA. Um, I'll, grab it, I'll grab it if you want. So there's an independent chair who's an animal welfare expert, um, vet science background from Melbourne University. Obviously, WSAA Victoria, uh, Fieldingham Australia have a representative. The RSPCA have a representative. Uh, the Shotgun Education Program has a representative, which is myself. And then there's an industry representative from one of the big five, so one of the big firearms wholesaler importers. Um, there's also some input from the Game Management Authority, Animal Welfare Victoria, uh, Department of Job Skills, Industry and Regions, as it's now known, and the Department of Energy, Environment and Climate Action. So... Uh, various government departments have representatives in there, but the main working group um, is WSAA Victoria, Feeling Australia, RSPCA, Shotgun Education Program, and the industry. Um, the others are attendees and have some input into the development, but the main members are the ones listed above. So a broad range of, um, I think you could quite comfortably call them diverse um, <laughs> interests yes. and views. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, you all managed to come to a... A consensus? Uh, well, I think we've all got the same goal, end goal, um, to reduce wounding. Um, some of us have different motivations, I guess. Um, some of the hunting and shooting organisations certainly look at it 
to as a way to improve hunter performance. If we improve our performance, our hunters, you know, they bag more birds. As a consequence, you reduce wounding. So it's it's win-win for the hunting and shooting organisations. RSPCA have animal welfare goal to improve animal welfare outcomes. Um, so we've got we've certainly got some common ground. Well, this is great because the minister stated that both with the duck and quail announcements that wounding was a real concern of hers. So the minister will be all over this plan and, and championing it. She's public release. Well, She's funny, uh, funny you should say that, Barry. No? Funny you should say that because um, you would you would think so. And um, that report, which was um, endorsed by all the participants, um, went off to the minister in September last year. And we're hearing crickets at the moment. So um, as far as we're concerned, that, that report has been suppressed. So if the minister really is concerned about wounding, uh, there is a plan there ready to go um, that could be rolled out and probably should have been rolled out for this coming season. Um, the fact that it hasn't uh, is really concerning and, and it makes you wonder why. Is it super complex? Does it need $20 million? Or- it needs some funding. But look, it's not super complex. It took a long while to develop. Obviously, it took a long time to come to agreement on certain issues, as you can imagine. But look, the plan includes, you know, some basic things like, you know, what is wounding? Um, in the media now, we seem to see wounding as someone that shoots a duck and the duck's on the water and their dog retrieves it and that's being called a wounded bird. Well, it's not a wounded bird. It's been retrieved and dispatched. So it, it's got simple things in it like what what is wounding? What's the definition of wounding? So a wounded bird is a, wounded, a bird that's shot and not recovered. So instantly, you know, we take a lot of the wounding out of the equation just from the definition. Um, we talk a bit about the wounding issue itself, how big it is, uh, the extent of wounding. And what causes wounding? Obviously, it's uh, it's hunter behaviour. <laughs> that's as simple. It's uh, someone's going to make a decision to pull the trigger, and that's what causes the wounding. So a lot of it's it's around hunter behaviour and hunter knowledge. Um, there's an obligation to reduce wounding, so we all are committed to to in, to uh, reduce wounding. There's no goal as such. There's no you know we're at thirty percent. We need to get below twenty percent. There's no there's no end goal. The end goal is to continuously improve and do better. And there's key action areas. So Basically, we broke it down and we, we worked on six action areas. Number one being leadership and culture. Two, raising hunter awareness. If hunters don't know there's a problem, it's really hard to address it. Uh, ensuring hunter knowledge and proficiency. Now, most of this comes down to behavioural or, or knowledge. They just don't know what they don't know. Uh, a lot of that's around non- use of non-toxic shot, use of retrievers, all sorts of things like that. Sustainability. Um, we talk about sustainability in the sense of accounting for wounding losses in harvest. Uh, when we talk a little bit about uh, adaptive harvest and interim harvest, none of those things none of those things take into account actual wounding. Um, and the next one is monitoring of wounding. We need we really need to find out and work out how the extent of the problem in Australia. So we've got lots of studies from Europe, uh, Scandinavia, and the US, but very little, certainly no recent work in Australia. So we need to have a look at uh, monitoring of wounding. And number six is evaluation and revision. So with every plan, you need to uh, review and evaluate the performance and make changes along the journey to make ensure that continuous improvement. So we've got a sensible, reasonably low-cost plan agreed across the spectrum of stakeholders to address what the Minister for Outdoor Recreation continuously cites as the number one issue for native bird hunting in Victoria. That is correct. Um, this is a rhetorical question because I choose not to answer. <laughs> what? Why is it being suppressed? We don't know, Barry. Um, so it has sat with the with the previous minister before the election. Um, I can understand why it wasn't endorsed 
pre-election. Like I kind of get that. But since the election, especially with the call of the select committee, et cetera, I don't see any reason why it would be suppressed. But as we saw in the in the latest um, release from the Game Management Authority with the advice that went to government around the duck season, all but the first page has been redacted. So what we had 25 pages of black. I think um, that's probably a, a useful thing to touch on too. I see a lot of commentary online. I understand where it comes from. Um, from hunters who are angry at the Game Management Authority over these season settings? Yeah, I think uh, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people and I think um, a lot of people really don't understand the GMA's role um, and, and how all this works. And I think a lot of that angst directed at the GMA is directed incorrectly. Um, they provide advice to government and then the government makes a decision on it. Um, so, And this is, once again, in the past, there have certainly been what would be considered subjective uh, decision making, and some of the advice given to government by GMA over over years, going back a few years, uh, we probably questioned that as well. Uh, but I think they've certainly come a long way. Um, a lot of the the criticism about them um, came about, I think, because they are under resourced. Um, if we go right back to when the GMA was formed. Um, a cynical person might say they were set up to fail. I don't quite subscribe to that, but um, they certainly weren't given the resourcing that they needed to to succeed. Um, and that's something that we've certainly pushed over the last six years to make sure that they are adequately re resourced to be able to do uh, what they're supposed to do. And I think they have certainly come a long way. We had the Pegasus report that came out a few years ago was was quite scathing of uh, of GMA and their role. Um, and I think they've they've certainly come a long way since then. But um, yeah, they they don't um, actually set the season. That's uh, that's up to the minister. So um, and in the current situation, the minister has gone against the expert advice um, and gone against the interim harvest model uh, recommendations. And so, as far as we can see, that's that's a political decision, and that's solely on the minister. And it's up to the minister to try and explain uh, why that uh, winning plan has not seen the light of day and why she's made the decisions she has around uh, the season announcements for both duck and quail. So I guess we missed a, a few steps there. So the the plan was developed by the Waterfowl Winning Reduction Working Group. That was then presented to the Game Management Authority Board for endorsement. The Game Management Authority Board are the ones that endorsed it and the ones that put it up to the minister. So it has gone through some process already, um, it, but it does certainly sit with the minister. Yeah, and a, and a rigorous process. And, and look, it's worth noting that um, the GMA board's chair, Brian Hine, resigned last week. Um, Brian cited personal reasons for his resignation. So we, um, it's not for us to read any more into it than what Brian cited. But I can imagine the frustration of being an independent expert statutory authority uh, giving considered expert advice to a government and being treated the way that GMA's been treated in the last few months, I can imagine Brian's frustration. I, I certainly can as well. I think we're all frustrated. <laughs> I we're, yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone, I mean, I know our members are really frustrated. Yeah. Uh, the calls we're getting in the office every day and the emails and that, I mean, everyone is frustrated about this because the minister has the power to, to make these decisions, um, but we'd just like to see some, some rationale for it and an explanation as to, to why this has occurred. Yeah, and I've... I've not experienced this in the last 10 years or so. I've been relatively involved in these sorts of issues. We've had ministers 
might give us decisions that we didn't want before, um, decisions that we didn't agree with before, but the complete lack of engagement, consultation. Transparency. Transparency. <laughs> um, what it's pretty difficult to char- characterise as anything other than contempt for our interests is something that we've, we've not seen certainly in the recent past. Uh, I'd entirely agree with that, and uh, yes, we haven't always got decisions that we uh, that we liked, but we've always uh, been told about them, and there's always been uh, some transparency around the the process. And at the moment, there is absolutely none, and the lack of communication coming out of the minister's office is extremely concerning. And whilst back to the wounding reduction action plan, whilst it's about native birds, about wild ducks, um, yes. The, the, the key driver behind that and something that's lagging a bit behind is that wounding's an issue for all hunting. Um, wounding's not an issue, a duck issue or a quail issue. It's a, it's a use of animals issue more broadly for the society, but for our interests, it's, it's a hunting issue. So. Yeah, it is. You look at other industries, uh, you look at um, egg farming, you look at egg production, sorry, jumps racing, horse racing, greyhound racing, live export, any of these things have had the same challenges we faced in the past. Um, it's our turn, and it's not related. It's not just ducks yet. We've got a waterfowl wounding reduction action plan and a, and a working group. Uh, there's now been a quail working group formed that is actually meeting this week. Uh, we also have representation on that, uh, and there's also a plan for a, a deer wounding reduction plan, which is scheduled for 2024. So it's it's not ducks. It's it's all hunting and well, all game hunting in Victoria. And people say it, you hear it all the time, it's, you know, they come for ducks and they'll come for deer next and they'll come for fish next. And there's a degree of truth in that. There's a degree of, of buster and bullshit in that. But the same people, you go back to, to the core group, this animal rights ideology, well, they think anyone that uses animals is bad. Sure. Like it's it's not limited to, oh, you're bad because you use a shotgun on, on a native bird. It's you use and kill an animal, you're we're coming for you. Yeah, there's certainly a flow-on effect between hunting, especially game animals um, being deer, ducks and quail. But to, to say there's a flow-on effect of fishing is probably a, a longbow. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure, there'll be a little bit of flow-on effect, but I don't you know, I don't think fishing's next. I think fishing's a long way away. It's certainly on their agenda, though. There's there's no doubt about it. But, yes, I entirely agree. It's a, it's a fair way down the, down the track. But I think it's important. We're, we're not going to change those sort of people's minds. They've, they've got their worldview and, and that's how they see the world and that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Uh, what we've got to do is is make sure that the vast bulk of society who don't hold those extreme views can actually be comfortable with what we do as hunters. And to do that, we need to be making sure that we reduce wounding um, and we do everything we can to make sure that we're doing the right thing and we're seen to be doing the right thing. So that's that's where our, our big battle is, um, not convincing the antis, but uh, making the rest of society comfortable um, with what we do. And circling back on on that sustainability argument, which you know, like we, we think we've we've got a very good story to tell. What is the interim harvest model and adaptive harvest, and what's the what's the two minute explanation for what that stuff is? The two minute explanation. <laughs> Good luck. I'm not sure there's a two minute explanation. All right, three. Let's have a bit of a crack. So, if we start with interim harvest, no, we can't really start with interim harvest. We need to go all the way back, I guess. We need to go back to adaptive harvest management. So, it's a bit of a journey that started 
14 years ago now when it was first touted that would come up with a with an adaptive harvest model. Well, basically, we looked at well, we the government looked at what's going on in North America and how waterfowl populations are managed in North America. There's been a whole pile of things happened since then. There's been expert panel reviews and adaptive harvest model reports, and there's been SHEP action plans, and there's been a 2010 report and a 2017 report and a review of a review of a review. <laughs> so there's been a bit of a process, so we won't go down the whole street. But it has been uh, 14 years in the development. Uh, there's been some huge knowledge gaps identified, um, one being population, um, a few others. And until that data exists and there's a, a longitudinal data set, you know, more than five years, we can't really move to adaptive harvest. So that's when we, we come up with interim harvest. So one of the, the last reports suggested that we come up with a simple model, which is the interim harvest model. Well, it was supposed to be simple. It's actually quite <laughs> complex. But the beauty of it was it uses all available data at the moment. So it didn't rely on any new data. Adaptive harvest relies on new data. You really need to know population modeling and population dynamics, which is you know what people will call the helicopter. The helicopter counts that go on in Victoria. So it's, a, it's actually an abundance model. A helicopter counts part of it, but there's ground counts, et cetera, that go into the model. And that model is a predictive model that predicts populations. So until that exists, adaptive harvest is, is you know, a thing uh, in the future. Um, we'll get there, but we need that longitudinal data set. So we started in 2020, so this year will be the third year. So a couple of years' time, we'll have we'll start to get an idea of um, what if our populations in Victoria obviously fluctuate hugely. But until we get that, we're, we're going to be in this adaptive har in interim harvest stage. So what is it? <laughs> so it's a framework that uses existing data on dock on duck populations and environmental data to achieve sustainable annual harvests, essentially. So we're talking about sustainability and using all available data, um, which there isn't that much. So the inputs are breeding conditions, which is uh, Landsat satellite data, which looks at um, water in the environment, which comes from NASA. Uh, recent duck populations, which uh, Eastern Australian Aerial Waterbird Survey, which people will refer to as the Kingsford counts, which again aren't aren't population counts, they're not a, you know, a magic number, they're just an index uh, as such. So we look at whether the numbers are going up or down. Uh, Victorian hunter bags, so we've got really good survey data going back to 1973. So again, we're talking about longitudinal data. And Victorian duck counts, so it was formerly called the summer waterbird count. They've been going on since 1987. So that's the data we have. So essentially we're using the data we have to feed into a model. And the model's broken out of five indices, which is essentially New South Wales and Victoria. One's, one's a predictive one and one's an actual um, index. Uh, and then we come up with a number, essentially. So we've put these five indices in to the model and we come out with a number. A number between zero and 10, and it's been adjusted. So that number's essentially, essentially the bag limit. That's... <laughs> A pretty quick, basic breakdown of something that's highly complex. But um, it's relying on the beauty of uh, the interim harvest model is it's relying on full-length seasons. So what we've always called for is full-length seasons. Give hunters an opportunity to get out there and hunt. And research in New Zealand and North America shows that adjusting bag limits has a, a much greater effect on sustainability than adjusting lengths of the season. You shorten the season, people just hunt more. So... What we're always looking for is an association to give our members an opportunity to hunt more often. So the beauty of interim harvest is is that ability to hunt falling seasons. Having said that, we, 
the, the model this year went up suggesting a, a four-bird bag limit a falling season and we got what we got. Um, the whole thing with interim harvest model and adaptive harvest management is to take the politics away from hunting. The model spits out a number and that's what we go with. Which it hasn't succeeded in doing this year. I, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd suggest that there's a bit of politics involved in hunting right at the minute. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it, it was designed to, I suppose, A, put sustainability beyond doubt, to, to be able to give the public confidence that there is no question about the hunting season, game hunting being sustainable, and to provide a level of objectivity so that we can, again, as citizens of Victoria, so that we can see how decisions are being made and follow the logic of them, which is was going it was going down the same path until something just inexplicable happened. Well, everyone has to have confidence in the model. So if government either side of government, either sides of the hunting spectrum, you know, hunting organizations, non hunting organizations, if they don't have ownership of the model, they don't have um, faith in the model and they don't accept the risk that the model comes with, I guess that's when the politics comes back into it. Um, hopefully when we get to adaptive harvest if we get to adaptive harvest, that, you know, both sides of the spectrum will accept that risk and accept that, you know, in, in all wildlife management there is, an, is, there is an element of risk, you accept that risk and you, you move along. And, and the alternative is, well, the alternative is what we've been handed this year is one of the alternatives, but the slightly more palatable alternative, I suppose, is what's been going on for the oh, best part of the last decade which is this considerations process. Um, you want to run us through? There's been a bit of a bit of chatter, and I, I suppose detractors use the point that SSAA Victoria didn't participate in that process as as some sort of um, oh, was it, as an attack on the association, and it's a pretty cheap shot. Um, pretty misinformed in my view, but inform us, Dave. It is, and we've certainly put out plenty of communication to our members about what we've done and, and why we've done it. But effectively, that process is is broken. Um, it's extremely subjective, um, results in some very murky decision-making. Uh, we've got the Andes on one side jumping up and down and saying hunting's not sustainable, um, it's cruel and all these other things. There should be no season. And on the other hand, uh, we've got the hunting group saying, no, nah, it's entirely sustainable. Let's have a, a full season and a full bag limit. So it's it's sort of a process that's evolved over the last 20 years. And as the antis have become more vocal uh, and politics has got more and more involved in the in the season setting, uh, it's become worse and worse. And uh, we've been trying for a number of years to actually change the process to come to a more objective season setting sort of arrangement. And for the last two years, um, we've decided that we would no longer uh, participate in that particular part of the process because we saw it as validating a, a broken process that we didn't support. That does not mean that we have not been advocating on behalf of our members and having a lot of input into, uh, into GMA and government. We've continued to do all that work. We've simply moved away from putting in a formal submission uh, to a process that um, is, is clearly not working uh, because we didn't want to continue to validate that. And look, it's a broken system. I've been involved in it for 10 years now and written a number of submissions for, for both organisations, um, Fielding Game Australia and Sporting Shooters. Uh, did some joint ones as well back in the day. Look, it, it's got to the point where it's it's just a farce. There's no new information presented. The whole point of that was to to present new information or something that might be missing from the discussion 
Now the information packs are that large because every year we bring up new things and new data and something else we can look at. That's now all in the considerations pack. And if you look at the submissions now and the recommendations, there's a whole pile of anti-organisations and they all recommend cancelling the duck season regardless of the conditions. And there's a whole pile of hunting and shooting organisations that recommend full bag, full season. Well, neither of them are realistic. <laughs> Zero bag and banning hunting isn't realistic and, and every year having a full bag, a full season isn't realistic. So it just makes the whole process a bit of a farce really. And there's some understanding, um, false belief that if you don't make a submission and there's six anti-submissions and five pro-submissions, therefore we've been outvoted. It's not or, a negotiation. No. It's, it's not a negotiation. It's not an ambit claim. It's it's probably, to be a, a real cynic, it's a way for people to make bad decisions and stand there and tick the box and say, oh, yes, but we consulted with the broad range no, of stakeholder engagement. Yeah, you tick um, the box. Exactly what it is. It's yeah, and it's not like WSWA Victoria did nothing. So we, we led a, a pretty serious um, campaign pre-election and pre-election delegations, a united campaign of, of hunting organisations. Um, we worked both with GMA and the minister's office to try and influence the decision. Uh, it's not never been our practice to talk about what goes on with private meetings, but David David and I had a meeting with the minister. Um, her chief of staff and an advisor 48 hours before the duck season decision where we made it very, very clear what the expectations of the organisation and the people that WSWA Victoria represents were um, and the minister gave no indication that she was going to make the sort of decision she made. She gave no indication that there was going to be a select committee called less than 48 hours later. No, and that's uh, that's probably disappointing. That yeah, basically forty eight hours before the decision was made, we were told that no decision had been made, and uh, we could have no indication of when a decision was going to be made. Um, and then yeah, that came out fairly quickly, and uh, I think we got a, a few minutes' notice before it was made public, and and that was about it. So uh, yeah, pretty pretty disappointing. Um, but comes back to the current engagement and communication and transparency in these these decisions, which is once again why we want to see um, adaptive harvest management brought in so that things are clear, they're transparent, they're objective. And, yeah, look, hunters mightn't like the results that it spits out in any particular year, but we can all have confidence that, um, that it is objective decision-making and it does take that politics out of it. And that's the key point is taking that politics out. So adaptive harvest isn't going to give us full-length seasons and full bags every year. It's, it's not going to give us, you know, more birds in the legislated season, but what it does do is remove the politics out of the discussion. And what we need is for hunters and hunting organisations to get behind it. You might not like the decision, but it's better than not hunting at all. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so what was the basis for this year's decision, do we think? Well, the only thing you can put it down to is a purely political decision, given that the uh, the Labor Party caucus is apparently two-thirds opposed to hunting. Um, so... The minister's taken advice from we don't know where. She certainly hasn't followed the the GMA advice on this um, and what the interim model put out. So it's it's got to be a political decision. I, I can't say anything else. We're trying to um, get some information out of the minister's office so that she can explain. Uh, we've certainly given her plenty of opportunities to explain where she's going with this and why she's come to these decisions, um, and we're getting nothing. Well, certainly didn't come from the Game Management Authority because we've seen the recommendation from the board to the to government um, 
so yeah, it's, it's someone's made the decision somewhere. It's not coming from the government, the, the departments that advise on hunting. It's coming from somewhere else. And it's a. Uh, I think Dave touched on it earlier. The government has the power to make these decisions. So you look at Section eighty six of the Wildlife Act, and it gives an incredibly broad power to yep. the relevant minister or ministers to make whatever variations they want to hunting seasons. Um, Correct. There's an understanding that there's a clause in there around uh, extraordinary circumstances, et cetera. There's no no such thing. The minister can make the decision. The, the, the power is yeah, incredibly clear and incredibly broad. Um, there's been people talk about, oh, why don't you take a take legal action or on what grounds? In the yeah. act. There's, there's, there's no basis. And I mean, whilst we might think the decisions are unfair and they may well be, um, legally the minister has the power to make these decisions. So there's no point trying to launch a legal challenge just for the sake of it because there's significant risks associated with that as well. We take a, a case to court that has no merit. Um, we are going to lose and we're going to have costs awarded against us. And it's also then the reputational damage to the organisation. If we're doing things that we know aren't reasonable, um, that that doesn't reflect particularly well on the organisation. And um, yeah, why would you why would you take on a, a fight like that um, when you you know there's no basis to to actually win anything? It, it also risks getting, and we've seen it in the past. Anti organisations going to the Supreme Court on on the eve of duck season, um, and they've been able to affect localised closures. Um, I'd argue that there's a judiciary in Victoria now that if they got the right judge, they could get an injunction against the entire season pretty easily if we were to to go down that path. Mm. And I think, you know, if we want to take the act on and go to court, I think we could spend half a million dollars, which would be the starting sort of point. We could spend half a million dollars a lot better. And, and even then, even if um, involved very much at the periphery, but as an observer, um, back in the early 2000s when a fellow wanted to bring in Kerry beagles and, and use them for, for hound hunting because they were beagles um, and actually won the technical point in VCAT. Uh, the VCAT hearing was then stalled whilst the government went and changed the law because we've got a government with a thumping majority in the lower house and who can change the law in the upper house with the votes of the Greens and the Legalised Cannabis Party and Animal Justice, who they don't even need, they're a spare. So it's not as if if we did go to court and it looks like we were going to win, the government at next to no notice could just turn around and change the law. Yep, absolutely. And that's uh, a well understand. Our members' frustration on this. I mean, we get, <laughs> believe me, we, sure. we are very frustrated yeah. on, on a whole heap of these issues, but we have to be realistic in, in how we respond to these things and understand what we can and what we can't do. Yeah, what we do need to do is work on the regulations, uh, change in regulation and change in the Act. Certainly, with the Act's under review, the regulations are up for um, rewriting this year. And that's where the change needs to happen. We need to get adaptive harvest into the Act or into the regulation. And and it's the only way forward. It's not an option. It, it's the only way forward. If it's regulated, it, it will be what it says. What the model says will be what happens. It'll take that whole political discussion out of it, remove the power of the minister to cancel the season on a whim. Look, I, I'm all for cancelled seasons. If we have a 10-year drought and you know, <laughs> there's no wetlands in Victoria and duck populations under under third, I have no problem with cancelled seasons. I have a huge issue with the minister having the authority to cancel a season because she doesn't let duck hunting. Yeah, yeah that's the issue. If, if it's scientifically demonstrable sure. that we do need to, to reduce seasons and bag limits or cancel a season, then that's fine because 
the most important thing is the sustainability of, of the resource. So we need to make sure that our duck populations are sustainable. And if we need to adjust seasons, then that's fine. And that's what this modelling will do. But yes, as Daryl said, we don't want to see seasons adjusted um, on the basis of a, a ministerial opinion on uh, whether they uh, support or, or disapprove of duck hunting. All right, so we're not going to pay the um, the service fee on some barrister or KC's um, yacht or, um, <laughs> or, or on the car. Heat, heat the pool at their place in Portsea. What are we doing about that season decision? All right, uh, we're, we're working on a really comprehensive submission uh, to the parliamentary inquiry. So that's, um, that's going to all be based on, on facts um, and cross-referenced, and so there'll be no arguing against the facts on that. As I said, we are very confident that if the decision is made based on, on the facts and science, uh, we've got a really good case on this. So we're doing that. Um, we're also making contact with the Minister's office on a very regular basis, trying to uh, engage and, uh, and get some responses. We're not uh, achieving a great deal there. But look, we're certainly talking to um, all sides of politics. Um, we're talking to, to the unions. We're talking to the other hunting organisations. We're talking to industry uh, to try and come up with a coordinated approach on this. Um, so we're encouraging our members to, to get involved. And, and that's, I talked briefly before about it before, really important that people contact their local MP, write to them, uh, put in a submission to the inquiry and make sure that, uh, yeah, there's plenty of voices out there on that. Uh, we talked before about uh, the association putting uh, whatever resources we need into this. So we've we've spent a lot of money. Uh, I'm sure we'll spend a, a lot more before we're done, uh, but we're targeting that in areas that we know is going to be beneficial. We've commissioned consultants uh, to give us specific expert advice um, and also um, some polling to get some, some factual evidence uh, to put to that commission as well. So... There's plenty that's going on and uh, we just need our members to get behind what we're doing um, and, and support it and, uh, and go from there. And look, money's not going to win this fight. If, if it was just a case of throwing enough money at it, then um, we'd do that. We'd be up against an animal rights movement with a lot of money behind it too. But we're not going to win it without money. Um, but money is not what's going to win it. It's It's the other things and and that force multiplier of individual hunters and beyond individual hunters, individual shooters, individual people who have an interest in in the administration of our indis, of our interests um, are going to be a huge factor in, in whether or not we come out the other side of this. Moving into for what it is, uh, we've got a duck season. It's it's not it's it's, it's pathetic. It's yeah. it's nobody is happy with, and I mean nobody's happy with it. I think the first thing I said, Barry, was it's going to be hard to sell. Oh, it's <laughs> it's impossible to sell because it's um, so much of the conditions, not just the length of the season, the delayed start every day, everything about it's just... Delayed. It's hard to find a positive. Yeah, it's the positive was we're going hunting, but, but that's not enough. Yeah, it's kicking the guts. Yep, Absolute kicking the guts. And, and for I'm an occasional duck hunter. I know you're a really keen duck hunter, Daryl, and it, it's... To have people who hang out all year for what was already a you know, relatively short season and people who gear their whole year around it, and it's just mm. absolute unjustifiable kicking. We can talk all day about how disappointed we are about it, but we've got a, we've got a season. Don't make me cry. Come no. on. Well, we've got a season. Um, we've been trying to roll out some training in order to bring new people into duck season. Like, don't let the bastards beat us. They don't want us to go and hunt this year, so let's go and hunt this year. 
No, the easiest thing would do to just be sit back and go, oh, well, we've got a crap season, there's no point doing it, but we're not going to do that. So we've gone out, um, certainly running water for identification training um, for the WIT test. So we've got GMA on board that come and run the test for us, but we run a very thorough training program. I've been involved in that for 15 odd years. So um, done those quite successfully in the past and we've, we've wound those up again. So we've been running those out at Eagle Park at our range there and out at um, Springvale. Um, actually surprisingly well attended. So there are there is still interest in duck hunting. I keep hearing duck hunting is dead, and we don't get any new hunters this year. But we certainly had had some interest in water waterfowl identification tests and training. Um, and it looks like we'll we'll try and schedule another one if possible as well. I think we finish up tomorrow. Um, we'll try and schedule another one because we're still getting phone calls and emails, etc. So look, there is some interest, which is great. Um, we've also partnered with GMA to, to um, produce a, a an intro course, so an introductory course to game bird hunting. Um, we did a, a trial of that recently and huge interest in both deer and duck. Uh, we ran it over a weekend. We ran deer on one day and um, game birds, sorry, not duck, so it's all game birds. Um, so it's a really positive step. So, again, brand new hunters, the only people invited to those were people that have got their licence in the last 12 months. So it's really good to see that um, there are people out there still buying licences and, and keen to learn. And, of course, we're also involved in the Game Bird Essential Masterclass, which is formerly known or part of the Shotgun Education Program. And that's, um, again, I, I read commentary online, so um, WSWA Vic's only doing the Game Bird Hunting Essentials Masterclass because it's a massive cash cow that's bringing, <laughs> bringing <laughs> We've yet to make any money out of it. No, that's not. And I mean, yeah, one of these myths that are out there. I mean, we're, we're doing it because we want to see a future for, for duck and quail hunting um, and we want to provide educational opportunities for people so that they can actually learn more, so they can be better hunters. Um, so they can increase um, their bag and what they actually take and at the same time be reducing wounding. So, um, yes, we do not make uh, money out and of And look, there are, there are some costs involved. It's an expensive program to run. We've got a bunch of a bunch of trainers and instructors. We've obviously got the venue. We've obviously got you know, a whole pile of equipment. And then we've got materials. All the ammunition supplied, both game loads, clay target loads, all the paper targets, clay targets, et cetera, is all supplied. So it's not like you've got to turn up and you know invest another 100 bucks in ammo and everything that you use on that program supplied, and it's not a cheap program to run by any stretch. We're also going to run a, a less formal um, practice patterning day closer to the season. Yeah, we scheduled one in, um, again, out at Eagle Park, a um, really good venue for doing all that shotgun stuff, and that'll be an open day, and we'll have aspects of, of both the intro course um, and the, um, the master class as well, the shotgun education program. So there'll be aspects of both of that, and, There'll be some people that'll be helping out in your shooting and teach a little bit of patterning and certainly be able to pattern your guns and ammo, et cetera, and shoot a few clay targets and hopefully get some tips on how to perform better. And that's that's part of it too, just the chance for guys to get out and have a bit of practice as well before the season. So um, we certainly encourage them to do that. And so we move into the season. We, we will go hunting, hopefully as many people as possible, go and hunt as often as possible and, and make the most of that incredibly limited opportunity that we've been handed. Hunter behaviour. Uh, look, we talk about this every year and, uh, look, it's it's really concerning that some of the comments I've seen online, and I know they're not reflective of everyone, but people sort of saying, oh, this is the last season, let's go out with a bang and that sort of stuff. I mean, if, if that behaviour goes on, then we really are done and all the work that we're putting in will be for, for absolute naught. It's absolutely vitally important that people do the right thing and encourage everyone around them to do the right thing. And just remember, you, you're being watched. Uh, even if there's, you don't think anyone else is around, 
the antis are, have got some really good equipment, uh, long long telephoto lenses. Uh, we've got the regulator is out there watching as well. Uh, they've got some some really good equipment as well. But government's watching what we do and how we do it, and general public is looking at at what we do as well. So you can't be responsible for for people doing the wrong thing, but you can be responsible for yourself, and that's all we ask. Um, everybody uh, conduct yourself ethically uh, and lawfully uh, and get out there and, and enjoy your hunting. If you find that uh, you've got um, protesters there that are in your face, uh, record the, the interaction. Uh, just get your phone out and record it. Report it to the Game Management Authority, but don't get aggressive. Don't engage in that. Don't try and continue to shoot. Um, I know how frustrating that can be. I really do but it's really important that you sort of uh, maintain the high moral ground, um, just so stop what you're doing, record them, uh, do the right thing and sort of come back another day to continue with your, your hunting. As duck hunters, we've been under scrutiny for a number of years and it's getting worse and worse. Uh, this year will be more than ever. So with select committees in both South Australia and Victoria, we're going to see a lot more scrutiny. Scrutiny by the regulator, scrutiny by the antis, but the media. So the media kind of lost interest in duck hunting but with it now being in the spotlight in Parliament and select committees, the media are now back on board and I can we can expect a full contingent of media as well at opening this year. And, and the people watching us don't need super expensive gear. Like nope. I've got a, a P1000 camera that's, I don't know, like $1,300 or something. So it's a cheap camera, but I can video animals. Um, so I can video people at 600 metres hmm. with very, very high definition, very high clarity. There was... Um, South Australian open, opening the RSPCA's published some footage from Lake George, I think it was, yeah. which actually, personally, I looked at the behaviour on there and didn't think that those blokes were doing anything wrong. Um, there was a, a retrieve with a, there was a bloke went and fired out a bird and fired a swatter load at it on the water and finished it off and it was, that's what we'd encourage people to do. Um, and then there was a black Labrador one that, Daryl, yeah. Yep. Yeah. These, which is a bit of a problem, black Labradors, but... No problem um, there at all. There's a black Labrador went out and did a retrieve, brought it into the hide, and the bike windmilled it. Now, people say that doesn't look good, um, and we would encourage you not to do it because it doesn't look good. Uh, that was a dead duck. It, it, it didn't look wrong, but my point there is even that footage is being used against us. Yeah, sure. It comes back to social licences you brought up earlier. And also, you know, we talked about in the wind, when we were talking about the wind, waterfowl wounding reduction action plan, you know, what is wounding? So both of those issues, both of those that I saw pretty much did the right thing on both of them. Didn't look great, but they weren't wounded ducks. They were retrieved and put in the bag. They were dead birds. So that's not wounding. <laughs> those hunters didn't do anything wrong, but that's still being used against hunting, that sort of imagery. It's, something, it's not fair. It's not well, fair that we've got to think of that, but hey. But how many people want to sit and watch animals being slaughtered in an abattoir before they go to dinner? Same deal. No, it doesn't look good. And it's, yeah. But they weren't wounded ducks. And the world's not fair. We're not going to make it fair, so. Um, Probably yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> we can do our best. Now, uh, yeah, you were over in South Australia. I was. Opening, yeah, it was fantastic. Always good fun to go over there. Um a lot less pressure over there from both our anti-friends but also hunting pressure. It's it's a lot different than hunting in Victoria. So I had a ball, um, <laughs> really successful opening. We were down in we're down in the bottom of the Murray somewhere. <laughs> I give all my secrets Se Secret spot number 12. I am a duck hunter. Yeah. Um, and it looks like the birds have moved along the Murray and moved down to the, the south there where the Murray kind of goes into the ocean. 
Uh, yeah, it was a very successful opening. Species? Uh, black duck, grey teal, and mountain duck. About even numbers. Very good. And they've banned pinky duck in South Australia yes, this year. For we we managed to get all species into the decoys over the weekend except wood ducks. I think I even saw a wood there's no wood ducks where we hunt. But uh, every other species managed to get into the decoys and certainly, yeah, there was pinky there in numbers and hardhead, et cetera. Yeah, and you, you look at some inexplicable decisions and banning pinky ducks. Inexplicable. Um we probably should touch on um AA Victoria made a submission a well, how would we phrase it to the scientific advisory committee in Victoria when we talk about things that aren't great decisions? So, Sporting Shooters uh, wrote its submission to um, the scientific advisory committee to have a nomination, isn't it? A nomination, yeah, to have Hardhead delisted. Um, so, essentially, under the Fauna and Fauna Guarantee Act, um, the set threatened species list, they have them removed from that list. So this was done about a year ago? Yeah, over 12 months ago now, and it's been presented at every meeting. Uh, it, it, first, the nomination was accepted, and it's progressed through the process. Look, we'd expect that process to take a few years. There's a report being produced now, then there'll be a public consultation period, et cetera, uh, probably another 12 months before we'll get an outcome. But it's certainly being looked at, which is fantastic. It's back on the agenda. And the evidence presented, um, in our view, demonstrated that the original decision to list those birds wasn't based on the best available data. Well, it was at the time, but at the time it was the end, of, getting towards the end of Millennium Drought. So I think when the nomination was put in to have them listed with nine years into a drought, um, things were looking quite dire, but it's been you know, since 2010, 11, 12, a huge dramatic increase um, in available habitat and the numbers recovered instantly. Um, so the challenge was to, to question that original listing. Um, we took all the emotion out of it. We stuck to facts and figures. Um, and, yeah, the nomination was accepted, which was fantastic. The whole process seems to be more set up to get species on the list oh, than, sure. than off the list. Uh, but I think if we if we can succeed in this, I think it's a, a great news story um, and it shows that uh, yeah, conservation works and that, that hunting isn't detrimental to species numbers um, and the sustainability of species. So, uh, I think, and, and you would think that the, uh, the, all the conservationists out there, um, would be really pleased to see this happen. Uh, at the moment we seem to be, uh, having some concern that, uh, that something might actually be taken off the list, but, uh, I, I see it the other way. I see it'd be a fantastic result, um, for, yeah, sustainability of, of hardhead. And the system is certainly set up to list things as threatened and endangered. Uh, it's a lot harder to get them removed and put on. So precautionary principle, something's listed as you know, threatened. It's pretty easy to get on there. Well, let's let's take all the precautions and whack them on the list. It's a lot harder to get them removed. But having said that, a number of species have been removed over the last sort of, 18 months. So it's not impossible. Um, we'll keep fighting the fight. It's certainly progressing, which is fantastic. We'll wait to see the report. It's just interesting, just on that as a bit of an aside, that um, we've got some game birds on that list, um, blue-winged shoveler and, and hardhead. So immediately hunting was was stopped on those. Uh, but when you look at fishing, uh, we've got southern bluefin tuna and we've got Murray cod are on that list as well. Um, yet we we have a managed fisheries where they're allowed to be uh, be harvested. So just a just an interesting sort of uh, difference there in how things are approached. As I reckon we should. Um, yeah. You're out chasing southern bluefin the other week, weren't you? Yes, chasing, chasing the operative bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 drove around for a long time, but uh, yeah, it wasn't successful. So uh, I'll stick to deer hunting, I think. 
you're out, oh, you got that new motor on your boat that needed some work. So. <laughs> needed a few hours. Needed a few hours put on it. Certainly not a fishing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Um, and you thought duck season decision was bad. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all thought that. And then and then we got quail. Um, and, look, that's, that's just a kick in the guts to, to all the quail hunters out there. Um, the only rationale we've sort of been able to get any sort of um, feedback and indication as to why it was made was to bring the quail season in line with the duck season. And we just we simply can't understand that and we're trying to seek greater clarification on it. So, um, yeah, really, really disgraceful decision. Uh, that I think the counts are showing there's two million more birds than there were last year. And uh, yeah, to uh, to cut the season like they have is um, yeah, we just we just can't understand it. Obviously, once again, it's a political decision and nothing more, nothing less. And not even at least with at least I feel almost dirty. <laughs> saying, yeah, I'm about to hear. With, with duck season, they did try and pretend to consult us and talk to us first. Yeah, yeah they went through a there, few motions. There, there was a process of thoughts. Yeah, quail does nothing. Nothing. We just. We did chase up a, an announcement of such because we hadn't heard anything and we knew the deadlines when it needed to be gazetted and that's when the rumours started within government and yeah, then we'll, we were hit with it at the same time as everyone else. Yeah, so, so we did contact the Minister's office beforehand asking what was going on with quail season because we noticed that it hadn't been gazetted when it needed to be um, and, again, no response, just completely blinked. Um, we haven't seen the GMA advice I would assume that they um, called for a ban on quail calls the same as they had the previous year. Yeah, that's certainly my understanding of it. And, uh, yeah, look, we, as an organisation, we don't have a huge issue uh, with uh, not being able to use quail callers. We canvassed um, a lot of our quail hunting members uh, last year um, and the general consensus we got was that, I think one of the quotes was, quail don't act like quail when there's quail callers around. Uh, so from the ethical side of it, uh, we don't have a major concern with not being able to call quail into a, a small area. Uh, we did express our concerns to GMA last year with the um, the timing of the announcement. Uh, they left it very close to the season. And once again, we expect that consultation um, and some sort of lead time for people to prepare. Uh, but it was no surprise this year that um, quail callers um, aren't on the agenda. So that, that doesn't surprise us, but the start time, which I think, I've quail, quail hunters will get upset at me. It's far more gentlemanly than duck hunting. So the start time's not as big a issue. It's, it's still completely unnecessary and hunting at dawn's a really cool thing to do. Well, why would you adjust the timing of the, well, just both the time during the day and also the season length? Why adjust it? The only reason you adjust it uh, are there no <laughs> birds around? is to upset hunters. There's no other reason to do it. So you look at all the research. The research shows if you want to change harvest, et cetera, you change the bag limit. Bag limit hasn't changed. Season length's changed, which means quite quail population year on year looking pretty good. Quail, it's looking very good. Quail yeah. very abundant. Yep. We've, we've had a sneak peek of the quail report. Um, they now do an abundance report, and yeah, numbers are up big time over the last twelve months. So yeah, no rationale even no, to zero. on on counts. Just yeah, uh, take this. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could so, politely. Say, yeah, I was going to say let's keep let's keep it clean. Um, and it's a kick in the guts. Yeah, just to you know continue the the theme um, of doom and gloom. Uh, a couple of other clouds on the horizon for well, both for duck hunting and for hunting more generally. 
Yeah, we've got um, the wildlife game regulation review coming up. It was supposed to have been done last year um, and should have been done before the election. It got postponed uh, for 12 months. It's due by September this year. So there's really not much time left on that. Um, and we're following up to see if we can get some consultation. We've been hearing rumours about some of the things that are in there, uh, but we've got nothing concrete to, to date. Uh, but it's going to potentially have a, a big impact on on game hunting over the next 10 years. So something we're, we're keeping an eye on and something we're concerned about. Um, the other one that's potentially going to be a huge issue um, and probably feeds back into all this anti-duck hunting stuff is the animal welfare legislation. So that's on the agenda as well. Um, and there's some real concerns we have there um, about the impacts that will potentially have on hunting in this state. And again, that's something that um, you hear a lot about hunters wanting to see unity amongst the hunting organisations. Um, the the initial approach on that, and we'd hope the approach going forward, so it's SSAA, Victoria, uh, Victorian Hound Hunters, Field and Game, ADA, um, Australian Bow Hunters Association, all took a unified approach to going to government on that animal welfare legislation. So a lot of that stuff does happen. These conversations between all of the organisations happen on a on a daily basis, I'd say. Um, Absolutely, and yeah, I mean, we do we do work together on issues as much as we possibly can, and we come to the same position on as many issues as we possibly can. There are times when we do have differing views on on particular things, and we need to go our own way on that. But our preference um, and what we're always aiming for is that unity, and is that speaking with one voice and and that cooperation. And look, we've probably gone a bit longer than we thought we were going to go in here, but as I said at the start, that's that's what we, I think the opportunity of a podcast is, is to, to go into a bit more detail and a deep dive and give people that really good information. Uh, from here, what I'd urge hunters, to, individual hunters to do, well, the association will do everything that it can do, but make a submission, get your friends and family to make a submission, visit your local MPs. What we constantly hear is that, the antis are doing it and we're not. So you've got five MPs, you've um, five, six MPs. You've got five in the upper house and one in the lower house representing your local area. There's all information on, on our website and other websites on how to get in touch with them. Go and try and make appointments with whoever you can. Focus on the Labor MPs, put that pressure on in caucus, but try and make appointments with whoever you can. And if they don't offer you an appointment, ask to talk to their staffer. But even if you don't think they're going to give you the meeting, ask for the meeting. That makes a difference. I've heard and seen commentary in recent days that Minister Kilkenny's phone line has been ringing off the hook and has been flooded. And normally we'd probably say that there's not much point in ringing the minister's office. And, and I, I honestly believe that going to your local MP has a lot more impact than ringing the minister's office. But in this case, keep ringing. Um, they deserve to know that that there's widespread um, angers, a word that's hard to use when we refer to hunters because it has negative connotations. But if you're not angry about this, you haven't got a bloody soul. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really really poor. And I mean, the fact that um, the decisions have been made by the minister, um, but then no rationale, no justification, no explanation. Uh, people are really entitled to contact their office and ask for that information because if she gives it to us, we'll certainly share it with everyone. Uh, but at the moment, nobody's getting that information. And, of course, be respectful. But, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Disappointment. We're, you're disappointed. 
Uh, anger. Yeah. It, every right to be very, very disappointed and yep. every right to express that. And if that causes some annoyance for the minister's office, then that's a consequence that we're more than prepared to live with. I think as hundreds we deserve to know why, at the very least. So express your disappointment and ask the question why. But I've done all the doom and gloom. Hunting prospects, Daryl. Oh, look, the prospect's looking fantastic, let alone, you know, let's get rid of the five-week season and the four-bird bag limit. Forget about that and the dramatically reduced quail season. Duck numbers are up. Water's up. Quail numbers are up. All the all those things are up. Get out and hunt. <laughs> Come 26th of April, let's put some of this behind us and get out as often as possible and hunt as much as possible because the prospects are looking really good. Like I said, South Australia was fantastic this year. It's been good before. <laughs> this year was was quite good. Uh, and Victoria's, look, it's going to be the same. It's looking really good. So get out there. I know it's four birds. I know it's five weeks, but hunt as much as possible. Yeah, because, I mean, yes, we're really disappointed with the seasons, but what it is all about is having those hunting opportunities and making the most of those opportunities. So certainly, yes, get out there. Uh, as Baz said, it, it seems to be all doom and gloom at the moment, but, yeah, I know people criticise this term, but we have got a season. Um, so get out there. Get the most of it you can out of it. Enjoy your cultural traditions. Spend time with friends and family, um, and just make sure your behaviour is absolutely exemplary. So, it it is a really challenging time. There is there is no guarantee we are going to to win this fight, uh, but we are giving it absolutely everything we can. Um, and if we do win it, it will actually stand us in good stead for the next ten to fifteen years, and we can actually set up hunting over that time. So. Yes, we're facing a lot of lot of threats, but there's certainly some opportunities here as well. Um, but it's all about having the opportunity to go out and hunt. We've got it this year, so get out there, enjoy it, and um, and have a good time. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Daryl. And if you're still with us, thank you very, very much, listener, for sticking with us. Um, get active if if ever there was an issue to get active on, not just if you're a hunter, if you're a shooter, if you've got any interest in in what affects us, then then this is the issue to get active on. www.vic.com.au. We've got all the information on the website. Um, and give us your feedback. Give us your feedback on how we're going. Give us your feedback on, on what you thought of this podcast. And we'll take it constructively and in the spirit that it's intended. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Everyone.